I'm hot for teacher. We thought we were done. We thought we were finished. We thought we would never talk about a movie minute by minute again. But we were wrong. Join us as we get to know the cast next door. Hello and welcome to the cast next door, where we love your mother's cookies. I'm your host, Michael Painter, and joining me for this uh, wonderful credits minute is Patrick Hamilton. Hello, everybody. So glad to be back. I'm glad to be back, too. And I I think maybe for the final time. I'm not sure. I thought the last time was the final time, but uh, maybe this one is. But uh, So what we do here on this podcast, what we've been doing for months now, is watching the movie The Boy Next Door and breaking it down minute by minute. Like, really giving it the in-depth analysis that a film like this truly deserves. Unpacking every unsavory and wonderful moment that this cinematic gem gave to the world we're we're knee deep in the credits at this point like we're past the actual film we are just we are just watching names go by and uh the first set of names uh that we see go by we actually kind of we kind of catch the tail end of the cast we actually start getting into the stunt crew there's quite a few interesting names here of people who have done some a lot of you know great stunt work and stunts are uh an amazing part of the entertainment complex something that doesn't get a lot of credit <laughs> um yeah outside of the tail end of credits um but they're very accomplished people uh I, and uh the work that they do just does not seem to give get any sort of um congratulations from anybody and until i think this year with things like the mission impossible sequel and especially the Mad Max film, Fury Road, where people, I think this year might be the year that we force the Academy Awards to go. Stunt work deserves its own category. So uh, you said you found some stuff with some of the names? Well, it, now, reaching into my past, I once upon a time used to work at Universal Studios Hollywood, which is a, a lovely place attached to the actual Universal Studios uh, in Studio City, California. Um, I rose up through the ranks as a studio guide, and one of the jobs that I had was in entertainment there. Entertainment runs all the various shows. One of those shows is Waterworld, which has been rife with stunt performers over the years. It's an easy gig for guys who like to fall off things, run jet skis into walls, uh, light themselves on fire, um, and you can kind of come and go as you please for stunt gigs. Uh, so the guy who uh, was the stunt double for Noah, Mr. Seth Duhame, is a stunt performer at Waterworld. And I spent all day talking to my old compatriots at Universal trying to get somebody in, somebody to get this guy to contact me. And because I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, this is my in. This is inside knowledge. And he didn't have time to talk to me today. We've got stunt doubles here for most of the cast here in the list. And we've got a couple that aren't listed as being a stunt double to anybody. Uh, they're listed as brawny male teacher and truck driver. Yeah, brawny male teacher is, is a fantastic credit that I would love to have on my IMDb. Oh, yeah. And he is so brawny. I 
th- that man is is was wide and intimidating. I was actually kind of surprised to. There are a lot of movies where, unless unless they're an action movie, you kind of don't think of them as having had stunts in them, which you know is kind of part of the problem that you know you were alluding to earlier about yes. these people not getting enough credit. Is like you tend to you, you tend to not notice that there's stunt work happening unless you know it's accompanied by an explosion or something going off of a ramp. Yeah, but yeah, this had a has a ton of stunt doubles, a ton of stunt drivers. Well, you have two big stunt sequences in terms of driving. You have the brakes have been cut sequence, um, which runs along the hillside of the San Angeles Forest here in California, and then you have something that looks like it happened just outside of Bakersfield which is Noah's dad gets his brakes cut and is staring so deeply into the legs of his mistress that he runs straight into an oil rig. All right. Well, before I move on, do you have anything else you want to add about, uh, about the stunt crew? <laughs> I, not in particular outside of I, I love brawny male teacher. I yep. think one of the reasons why you, a lot of people don't uh, think about uh, stunts is it's, it's one of those special effects that if you're not really – if it doesn't call itself out, they're doing their job. They're supposed to meld perfectly into the cinematic language of a movie. And if you do that right, you don't know that those stunt people are doing all those jobs, putting their their uh, their lives at risk for a $4 million <laughs> lifetime movie, <laughs> essentially. But – yeah. There you go, man. A gig's a gig. All right. So uh, after after the stunt crew, the next couple credits we get are they're by themselves. We have production supervisor and post production supervisor, which are Amanda J. Scarano and Nancy Kerhofer, uh, respectively. So, uh, well, <laughs> I can't say that they did a bad job. I mean, yeah. here, here's a this is a very inexpensive movie in terms of the grand scope of things. That's what Jason Blum and Blumhouse Productions has really made their money on they used and they filmed in LA and that's not inexpensive to do. So from that standpoint, they did a relatively good job. I don't think the movie really looks cheap. Do you No, No, it, I mean, it, it looks like a movie, you know, <laughs> like that's, and that's, that sounds like a really backhanded like way to say that, but like, no, it, 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 it's professional. It looks, it looks like a film, you know, despite, Despite a very very low budget, and that's that's something we kind of get to with all of the crew here is like you know what you guys you you did a good job with what you had to work with. Yeah, I mean, so. th- this is one of those movies that uh, obviously, uh, if you do it right, these things sort of become invisible. The I think the art department reasonably dresses up things well. I don't think the school seems outlandish or out of place. Um, I remember, uh, I remember during some of my earlier minutes, really noticing a lot of the the sort of the props and and furniture and things around the house, and how nice a lot of that was. Yeah, and they picked a nice location too. Um, the house that um, she's in is in sort of a South Pasadena location. South Pasadena um, is just about where the uh, Rose Bowl and the Rose Parade take place for people outside of California. And uh, then the hardware store is in my old neighborhood of Highland Park. Uh, Highland Park is seen in a ton of TV shows and commercials nowadays. Uh, Marin is filmed there, obviously. That's where he lives. But they film there all the time. The Lincoln Lawyer used it really well. Um, 
and then a lot of the driving scenes when uh, Vicky is trying to uh, fake out Noah, those take place on the backside of Highland Park in between South Pass and Highland Park, Sherry. They're all very close to one another. Um, and then there's some, and then mysteriously Vicky's house is in the middle of the woods and in, in the mountains somewhere, which I don't, the geography of this movie baffles. That was something I, I was kind of confused by as, as we went along is, are any of those places, places where you would typically find a barn? <laughs> no. I was, I was so confused by the presence of a barn, <laughs> uh, juxtaposed with all of the like suburban houses we were seeing. Yeah. It, that her house in particular is this outlier of everything else, which kind of makes a rational sense. Now I'm not saying rational in terms of because I know where these locations vaguely are, that it makes sense that way. Everywhere else seems to be a low lying Los Angeles hillside community sort of place. And then this it's like all of a sudden we get transported to the set of Friday, the 13th part 3d you're, in the middle of the woods, way at the top of this giant mountain, and a barn is there. Maybe if you went... An, an abandoned barn at that, because <laughs> like, it, it seems like everything in that barn has not been used in a long time. So No, I, no, I don't know what benefit she gets from that, other than, I don't know how that would add to her property value. I don't know where it is. So it's it's kind of crazy that it exists. And really the only reason it does exist is for that ending to have Chekhov's engine block fall on Noah. Otherwise you wouldn't need her to live out in the boonies. It's, it's this excuse to get our heroine out away from any sort of help. And that's about it. Yeah. Well, I think that's something they count on. And I think all movies count on is, like all all of these things you're telling me are things I had no idea of and I think they're counting on the fact that most people have not been to California and don't know what would seem weird to put together. Like, oh yeah, that seems like a place that could be next to that other place. Sure. Yeah, all right. The only thing that almost ties it together is the aforementioned uh runaway car scene. Um, where we have the the son and the ex-husband careening down a mountainside hill. That's the only thing that kind of connects Vicky's place to where the rest of the film takes place. Um, It's the only sort of long winding going downhill location. Um, I guess you could maybe make the argument that, that maybe uh, Claire and Vicky like, live away from the school in opposite directions. So maybe they just don't live anywhere near each other. I don't know, but it, yeah. Claire's place sort of completely makes sense. Like this was their family home. And then she kicked her husband out after he cheated on her. Vicky, we know is also divorced. Uh, at least she sort of makes that intonation several times. Um, and one assumes that, that because why would a, I, I, she she does not necessarily fit that house. I don't care how many sort of lacy shirts they put her in. It it seems very out of place for her to be living in that location with that barn. So well, I, I guess. And again, this is me kind of racking my brain to try and and justify the film's logic. If she is a D four say, maybe this was more her ex husband's style of living. 
And maybe that was part of why she wanted him out. <laughs> I don't know. And the final sort of knife in his heart is I'm going to take your ranch home with your abandoned barn. I will own that engine block. You'll never put it in another tractor again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, why not? We're I'm I'm reaching here, but you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to piece together the 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 reasoning of the film. No, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, moving on to kind of the rest of the crew, we have various uh, camera people. You know, uh, A camera first assistant, B camera second assistant, so on and so forth. Uh, we have my favorite credit to see because um, I, I'm i a big fan of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I still love at the end of the movie when Tom Servo yells, And the winner and still photographer! <laughs> so, I love seeing the still photographer credit. It just it makes me giggle. Um, so we get the sound mixers, boom operators, sound utility, uh, video assist, video playback, and so on. Now, here's uh, here's some folks that I think did a very good job. Art department. Yes. Nicely done on the part of the art department. I Like I was saying, I, I loved I loved a lot of the prop work. I loved the way a lot of the, the sort of locations looked. Um, and, and we're also – there's also, you know, the dressers and the folks in charge of the lighting and props are, are all here. Uh, and just, yeah, I, like you were saying, the movie – the movie looks good. It's you can see the low budget, but everything looks like it should. So, you know, good job on the special effects people and and the the key grips and all of those folks. Absolutely, uh, everything, especially the day photography, the sort of low rising sun of L.A. in winter look that they went for, um, actually really makes it look nice. And that sort of thing really elevates. A budget. That's that's something you can't buy. That's just you have the right lighting people, you have the right camera people, um, and that part of this movie does work for the most part. So uh, after those folks, we get the 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 makeup and, uh, and hairstylists, and it, I'm not surprised by this, but it's something I didn't realize until I I I saw it. Mm -hmm. um, Everyone gets has one general makeup artist and one general hairstylist, except for Jennifer Lopez. Oh yeah, her gets her own of each. Oh yeah, which I mean, this that's not shocking. This was very much her film. It is, and I think she needs to be commended for finding the right project for herself. And I this the problems in this movie are not really Jennifer Lopez based, in my estimation. No. How about no. you? I wouldn't say they're her fault either. It, it, it's it, it's weird because we keep saying like you did a good job with what you had. Uh so it's it's hard for me to sort of pin down like I I don't think there's anyone specific we can pin the blame on except maybe maybe the person who wrote the script, I'm not sure. I mean not even necessarily the script supervisor, just maybe like you 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 wrote this really contrived story. Well, it's a well, it's a well-worn, tropey sort of story of, and one that seems to find new resonance uh, as of late. And I don't know exactly yeah. when that happened, but I'm actually kind of happy because, in terms of like mid-budget films, these are things that generally return on their investment. They get yeah. crews paid, actors work. And occasionally someone does it really well. I can't say that this is one of those. But um, this sort of you've slept with the wrong person and then it spirals out of control. This is a, a fear that isn't unique and isn't um, hasn't been sort of done to death before. But 
it hasn't been around in a while. And now you, you see this film and no good deed and a couple other movies sort of pop up in this genre that hasn't been around for a while. And I think at least this is done better than the vast majority of lifetime movies that try to rip it off. I kind of suspect that this, that this genre has never really gone away. I think it's sort of the resurgence of like, let's just be honest, like bad movie podcasts has kind of driven them back into the forefront. It's like, Oh, what's an easy thing to make fun of? Oh, a, a low budget thriller. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's do that. Well, they're, they, they almost um, play off the low budget horror film. It, they have a slightly wider audience and because so many more women will attend a film like this um, and, and it speaks to a slightly older group than the teenagers who will attend quickie horror movies, it still grabs them and pulls them to a theater. It still um, speaks. It's it's filling a, a largely ignored niche. Absolutely. Because yeah. even though many TV networks have tried, and Lifetime especially, have tried to fill the void of this, they don't do it well enough to really satisfy people looking for a cinematic experience. And because you can't get the level of sex <laughs> in particular that this film delivers on. Um, sort of. <laughs> it sort of delivers on. <laughs> now, I, I, I did not see this film in the movie theater. I don't know about you. I only saw it on home video. So is the level of sex that I saw on the Blu-ray on the the Blu-ray release, the level of sex that was seen in movie theaters, or was I'm it? Pre I'm pretty sure I, d I don't think there's a director's cut of the Boy Next Door. <laughs> I didn't know if there was an un. I've seen <laughs> something unrated because there's a lot of hand job going on. Well, that's been commented on. We won't rehash it. That if people have not heard that section of this podcast, I recommend you go back and listen to people try to mow their way through the sex scene of this particular film. It is cringe-tacular. Oh, yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did I did get the shot of, uh, of Noah's butt as he's admiring himself in the mirror, and then Jennifer Lopez is peeking. So I got that bit of fun. But I, I think that's I think that's about as far as anything really gets is I mean, you get you get some shots of of Noah, but that's that's a, that's about as far as the real eroticism goes, I would say, in this film. I mean, there's yes, there's the sex scenes, but they're kind of kind of tame, I would say. I would. I mean, I would say there's a lot of. Um, it's very female pleasure focused, for the most part. You don't yeah. until Noah's turn, and then all of a sudden he's getting a BJ from a high school girl. Then it becomes him focused, but in that initial sex scene with JLo, with between Claire and Noah, it is more him pleasuring her and the forbiddenness of her experiencing this sex scene. So from that standpoint, I will say it was refreshing from a point of view standpoint. Yeah. Um, I will. I will be honest. Maybe that's my foreknowledge of where the film goes, tainting my perception of those scenes. Uh, because it's this. It, I mean, partly because it's in the marketing, and partly because you know everyone just kind of knows at this point. You spend the early. Th this movie spends a long time badly hiding its twist. Yeah. 
And then when it comes out, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, of course. And that kind of colors everything in the film before that point, even though it's not really intended to. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's a little strange. Um, before we go any further on discussing the film as a whole, let's try and get through the rest of these credits. Of course. Uh, so we have, you know, production coordinators, uh, production assistants. We have uh, location managers. We have a couple of – this is another thing where I, I, you know, should have known that this was a thing but just didn't until I saw it. But there are a couple set medics, which, yeah. I mean, that just makes sense. Um, script supervisor, Carmen uh, Tabanyi, which, I mean, good job. Again, did the best with, you could with what you had. Yeah, you can't see it right now, but I'm giving her a standing ovation. I mean – all the insanity makes internal logic within the movie. Uh, I don't think you see a lot of jumbling of scenes as you might see in many major films. This seems to go directly from A to B as it was intended for good or for bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She, she made this as coherent as she could have, I would assume. So um, after her, again, we get more production assistance. We get accountants, which I mean, makes sense. Uh, we get the creative coordinator. And then after that, we... St- I mean... <laughs> you know what? This is our coordinator. She's creative. Seems like <laughs> an underhanded credit. Yeah, I don't actually know what that what that job does. But you I know assume okay. that's, that's coordinating between various creatives on the, on the set or through the production company, whereas you're, you're getting people from JLo's production company together with Bloomhouse together with Rob Cohen's company and trying to make all of those wheels work and not grind gears. Uh, so speaking of which after creative coordinator, the, f- the first credit after that is assistant to Mr. Cohen. And we're actually going to stop there because uh, we, we act- we're actually going to be leaving the, the personal assistance of the cast and the crew uh, for the next minute. As much as so, it pains me, but yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, did, is there any, anything you want to throw out there as far as that stuff goes? Just a little bit? Um, I If we could reverse upwards going back to video playback, and very quickly I'll tell this story. Um, sure. Video Village is a big part of the film industry, and I didn't really have any personal connection to it until my wife, uh, her old friend from college. Turns out he is one of these video playback coordinators, and we went to a Super Bowl party at his house. I've never seen so many video monitors in my life. There wasn't a room in his house that did not have several monitors playing the Super Bowl. I'm going to be spoiled for the rest of my life not going to Super Bowl parties at this guy's house. It was incredible. You couldn't take a pee without being able to see the game. It was awesome. I would have missed our Super Bowl commercial. Had we not yeah, I was going to say, there. you would have missed those wonderful, wonderful commercials. <laughs> well, we had one. <laughs> we had one for a uh, uh, shout-out to uh, Stage of Fools, the uh, Royals podcast, the E-Network uh, original drama. We had a Super Bowl commercial that we scripted that was on the Super Bowl last year, and we would have missed it had we not been in that house because it went by in a flash. So before we, before we wrap this up, I, there's one other thing I want to say. Of course. And um, – I don't know how many other minutes are going to touch on it, but apparently Jennifer Lopez is actually going to be starring in a TV show next year mm-hmm. uh, called Shades of Blue. On NBC, yet another yeah. universal arm. Ah, so, it's, so she's working basically with the same company. I, I guess she's going to be working in an anti-corruption department in the FBI, but they're also going to be dealing with the fact that she's 
broke. Like, th- like that's the thing. It's like it's actually in in the pitch for the show. It's she's she's trying to like deal with her financial situation on top of dealing with corruption. So that's that's a weird twist, but okay. Well, how do you how do you deal with food thieves if you're hungry yourself? <laughs> is 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 food thievery a big uh, a big problem? I'm in sure the FBI? at some point in in a meeting at Universal, someone used various analogies. I mean. From as a as a person who markets TV shows, <laughs> NBC has a really individual way of selling TV shows, and that is this star is gonna be on TV. They've sort of taken this cue from CBS. Mm-hmm. CBS for a long time would say, "Taya Leone is Madam Secretary," and that's that's their pitch. Person you recognize is on a TV show, and here's what it's called. And they've done the exact same thing here with J Lo on the show, and yeah. Oh, so, so this this didn't start with the concept for a show, and then they cast somebody. This started with okay, how do we get J Lo on TV? I'm sure they pitched her a number of possibilities to star in, and gritty New York cop drama was the one that spoke to her the most. It it puts her in a city that she's identified with. And NBC can produce the hell out of a New York show because they've been doing it for years and years and years. And it's limited run. Will it be any good? Not by the looks of it. Why am I going up at the end of all of my sentences? It's, it's, it's for emphasis. It's what you do. So, yeah, so there's that. Well, I guess uh, to just sort of wrap this up, are there any other thoughts you want to get out on this movie as a whole before we before we wrap this up here because we are we are coming up on the end of the credits we are coming up on the end of the cast next door at long last uh anything you want to throw out there i'm i'm like like j-lo herself and i please excuse my my sexist comment like j-lo herself i'm sorry to watch it go but i love to watch it leave That's about it for this minute. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Well, uh, people who enjoy me can always find me tweeting infrequently at my company's uh, Twitter handle, which is at WeWriteGood. Okay, fantastic. So we write good on Twitter. And um, you can hear me on a Power Rangers rewatch podcast I do with my friends. If you if you enjoy hearing people overanalyze really dumb stuff and you're listening to this, so I assume you do... I mean, you, you made it at least 80 episodes through this. I think including bonus minutes, we're up to like 90, maybe 100. So I assume you like listening to dumb stuff. So uh, listen to Teenagers with Attitude. Oh, I can't wait. All right. And uh, for the cast next door, uh, I've been Mike. And I've been Patrick. And uh, have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to A Talking Cast Presents The Cast Next Door. I was your host, Michael Painter, with Patrick Hamilton. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at First Ed Iliad. You can download new episodes from thecastnextdoor.wordpress.com or subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Artwork by Josh Hollis. Edited by Darren Husted. Produced by Darren Husted. Executive producer, Michael Painter. The Boy Next Door is owned by Bloomhouse Smart Entertainment, New Yorkin and Universal Studios. No infringement is intended. Copyright 2015. All rights reserved. This is a first edition?